0: I, I want to give you something today I've actually this this sermon's been written for a month and uh, I, I, I want to give you something so practical, but I have learned that the most practical things are also the most deeply spiritual things. and uh, so that's what I want to share with you today. I, I mean I could certainly tell you. Some of the things I've done to engage um, and prepare for the new year. Um, I lowered my expectations a lot. Uh, that's something I've done, so I can help you with that. But. What I, a lot of Christians live under this weight of trying to, keyword there, operative word trying, trying to get God's approval or acceptance. For the most part, That's what a lot of people in religious and churches are trying to do all the time, even if they know better. It's just deeply ingrained in us. We're trying to get God's acceptance or God's approval. The the problem with that thinking and that mindset, which we'll be dealing with in January, is that God has already extended both acceptance and approval through Jesus Christ. And so you are working to get into a room you're already in and that is frustrating. And so I'm going to give you something today that has meant everything to me. It's something I'm reaching for and want to press more deeply into in 2024 and it's something that is going it will change your life if you can hear what I'm saying today and you can pursue it and go after it. How you go after it is going to be messy. But if you go after it, it will change your life, it will recalibrate your thinking, it will help you begin to see the world through a whole new lens that will set you free. And I'm just going to call it, for the sake of this message, the issue of presence. If we can learn to be present with a God who's always present, it will change everything for you. It will take away the anger you have when you scroll through the InstaTwitgram. Do you ever feel like an idiot when you're doing that? You're just like, like you, you, like I meant to spend five minutes just to check if I had any messages from someone I don't know, maybe from Nigeria, and uh, thirty minutes is gone, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you feel stupid again, because you're being outpowered by psychology. So I, I want to give you something that will that will rest you, that will bring you into a whole different place to live your life from. That's what I'm talking about today. And I know you're sitting there going, he's really building this up. I cannot overbuild this. You figure out what I'm talking about today and I'm going to try and make it as simple as as I can. If you figure out what I'm talking about today, it will change your life. If we as the church in America can, can learn to be a people of presence first, then the things that we do will be empowered by the power of a mighty God rather than our own personal energy. So, the Bible says in Psalms 27, 8, the psalmist writes in the ESV, You've said to me, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Out of the NLT it says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I love that translation. God, I want to show you something that you may have a hard time believing to start with. And it's simply that God wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. There's this belief throughout religion that God is just tolerating you. That God is, He is the Holy Father, and He is. But this Holy Father paid for the right through the blood of His own Son to get what He wants, and what He wants is you. And I want you to see that God wants to talk to you. He is not... If you are walking through your life right now, and many people are, and they're like, I just don't feel like God's answering. I don't feel like God's listening. I don't feel like God's present. I'm here to tell you, God is not the problem. God's not the problem. And by the way, your sin isn't the problem either. Because it's covered in the blood, man. I mean, there's nothing more that Jesus can do to deal with the sin problem. We're the ones who keep redealing with it. And so I want you know your God wants, to, I want, and I want to show you something in the old covenant, the Old Testament, because this is where so much of our theology is coming from. That's driving this insecurity about our place with God. And I want to show you that God has always wanted to be with people. He's wanted to be with His people. That the sin of mankind has never been the problem for God. He's always found a way to overcome that problem. Right. And so I want to show you a couple of things. First of all, let's start with Adam. Adam. From the very beginning, I don't know if it was on like the Sunday that God was resting or Monday morning, but God set an appointment somehow, either through repetition or agreement, that said, we are going to spend some time every day, you and me, together. That's how mankind and God began, was in relationship and in face to face. And then, uh, you, you go from Adam, sin enters the world. The great delusion of sin begins to fill mankind with fear, with inadequacy, with not enough, and all these kind of things. But there's one guy who doesn't buy into the delusion, and we'll talk about him in a few weeks. His name was Enoch, and he walked with God. So God had a relationship with Adam that was face-to-face, that was conversational, that was relational, that was father-son. He had a relationship with Enoch that was exactly the same nature, and sin had already entered the world. Then there was a guy named Moses that God just showed up one day and starts a friendship with Moses. And so close are they that Moses is called by people around him. He's known as the friend of God. (sighs) I got one more, and this is my favorite, and it blows my socks off. And I, I, I don't want there to be a room full of socks laying on the floor, but I'll, so I'm trying to warn you. This is in Exodus 24. This is just before the law is given out. This is the nation of Israel at the foot of the mountain. They, they are now free from Egypt, and they are under God's domain, and I want you to see what God wants. This is what God wants. And I know you may have never heard this before, but this passage blows my mind. This is pre-law. This is before the law is given through Moses, Exodus 24, verse 9. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu. If you're looking for kids' names, there's a couple (laughs) you might not have thought about. And the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw... They saw the God of Israel and under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Wrap that around your theology. Stick that somewhere in your belief system, because here we have a God who is not pounding on a mountain, scaring the snot everybody out of everybody. We have a God saying, "Come on closer. Let's have a covenant meal together." Now you're saying, "But God did give the law. He did give the law." And, and Paul makes it clear in Galatians is why mankind is crazy without God, and they needed a schoolmaster to keep them from killing themselves and ruining everything. And the law was that, a schoolmaster. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But here's the thing, the schoolmaster is temporary and only has a purpose for a season, and that purpose is to get you to grace. The problem with accountability programs that never turn into grace programs is that they always turn into something legalistic and ugly and something that locks people out rather than lets people in. So God established a way to bring people to grace and let them in. What I want you to see in this text, though, is I believe this is the relationship God wanted with Israel. I believe he wanted a relationship where they had covenant meals together and they enjoyed each other's company. And I believe that based on how Jesus interacted with his disciples on earth, by the way. Now, I said all that to say, I just want you to see that God wants to be present with you. If you feel like God is far off, that's not what God wants. If you feel like he's not listening to you, that's not his desire. That's not who he is. And so I want you to understand that what you can have this year is you can have a year of presence. And if you, uh, a few years ago, we started doing like word, like a word of the year, rather than having resolutions, we had a word that we would kind of claim. And I, I tried that for a few years, but I cannot focus well enough on one word. So I got a few words this year, you know, but presence is one of them. I want to live my life from the presence of God. And that's what I'm sharing with you today. I want to show you the benefits of it, Um, how to do it. I'll, I'll give you some ideas, but I'll be honest with you. It's like anything else in life. If you really want to learn how to do something, you have to pick up the instrument and start making mistakes. You have to start walking into it and making the wrong turns. But I'm telling you, what I want to share with you today is that if you can learn to pursue and enjoy and engage in the presence of God, it's going to change your year. It will not matter what happens throughout the year 2024, another election year. Woohoo! Since all our leaders are terrible anyway, I'm about ready to go to dictator. At least we can shoot that guy. Anyway, so, um, oh, dadgum, I said that out loud. I thought... That is not right. We, we uh, the king, honor the king, honor the king. I'm sorry, Lord. All right, so moving right along. So let's begin with the presence of God. And I want to start with a secret place. And I'm not sure why this phrase came out of me. I think it's because of a song in the late 90s, early 2000s, In the Quiet, In the Secret Place. Do you remember that song? It's a pretty simple chorus uh, back then. But the Bible says this about Jesus in Mark. He said, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, not all of you have been with us for several months, but several months ago, we did talk about how that when Jesus went into the wilderness, that, was, that wasn't testing, it was tactics. It was the father teaching the son how to handle everything. Because when Jesus came out of the wilderness at that season of prayer, he, he kept going back to the wilderness. He kept going back to these seasons of prayer. And so I want to present to you the idea of God's presence. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways I could come into this, but the God's presence, your devotional life, your prayer life, however you can wrap your head around it, I want you to think of it as a way to prepare. Prepare. Not everyone believes this, but I do. I believe you have an eternal enemy, as several of them, that are trying to wipe you out every day. I believe that, that they're working to deceive you, trick you, trap you. And so I believe that Jesus went in the wilderness to prepare for the onslaught of the enemy. And how he prepared for the onslaught of the enemy was not to know all the, the enemy's tricks or traps, was to identify where his father was, what his father looked like, and how his father moved. Think about this for a second. I heard years ago, and I don't know that this is true, but um, I heard years ago that when they are training people to uh, watch out for counterfeit money, they don't show them what counterfeit money looks like. They just show them over and over again what real money looks like. And then when they see a counterfeit, they can automatically identify it. Well, I think that's what the wilderness was about for Jesus. I think he went out there and he saw the Father and he kept going out there and he was seeing the truth, seeing the love of his Father every day. And so every time he went out into the world, he was seeing the works of the enemy and they didn't look like the Father. So he easily identified what was not the Father. That's why we start our day with the Father. Because when you start your day with the Father, you begin to know what he talks like, how he thinks as you get into the scriptures, as you worship, as you fellowship with people of the same mind, you begin to identify the thoughts of the Father, and the thoughts that are not of the Father become more and more obvious. So the quiet place and presence is about preparation. It's also a great place to listen to what God has to say. Cornelius In Acts 10, 9, I'm sorry, Peter in Acts 10, 9, it says the next day Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town. Peter went up on the flat roof to pray, and it was about noon. And if you know the rest of the story, you know that when he went up at lunchtime or noon to pray, that there he got a message from God that he did not understand nor appreciate that the the Gentiles were coming to receive the gospel. Now, I'm sharing that with you because I (laughs) believe, I believe God has something for you every day. One of my favorite ones I got this week was, um, I'll share this with you, it's kind of unrelated to the message, but just, I was in prayer in the mornings, meditation, enjoying some time with the Father, and I've been working on thoughts and where they go, and it's like the Holy Spirit just dropped this on me. it, It was like he taught me that whatever you think about, you give energy to, and whatever you talk about, You give life to. And I've been chewing on it for, I thought that was really good. Maybe it'll come back up in another sermon. So I've really been trying to work on my thoughts because it's been a tough last three years, you know, and and, I'm really good at the negative anyway. So you throw in the most positive three years in history. I mean, if you think positive is a latrine. And uh, so... I'm just kidding, it's a joke. it's it's hyperbole. Stay calm. Um, my point is, I, I, Peter went on that roof and he listened. and what if we, instead of going to our prayer time like a way to get accepted by God or approval approved by God, what if we went into God's presence because we knew he had something good for us that he wanted to say to us? I mean, how many of you like to spend time with your spouse, especially, when they're saying nice things about you. You're like, come on, say more. I'll say some to you too. Now say more. And let's go back. And I think that's what the Father's. I think there's a, there's a passage in Lamentations that says, the faithful love of God never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. New grace every day. New stuff, every, probably every moment of our lives. Every, I bet every moment you're willing to be present, you would find that the Father's already present and he has something good for you. And I know what it's like to be at this point in life where you're like, that may be true, but I haven't felt that in a while. So let me flip that on you just for a second. It's not, it's not the Father. The Father's not the problem. Now, the problem is that your guilt and shame informed echo chamber are taking what I just said. You're going, I know I'm the problem, but I don't know what to do. And that's the problem. Jesus has already died for all the problems. Do you understand? Everything that's wrong with you is already covered in the blood of Jesus. You're already covered in the righteousness of Jesus when God looks at you right now. This is part of your salvation deal. When The day you, you turned to Christ, started thinking on his level, God put a robe of righteousness on you that is the righteousness of Christ. There has never been a day in your life that... that Post that moment of conversion, awakening, whatever you want to call it. There's never been a moment that God hasn't looked at you and seen the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Now you need to hear this because you're sitting in your life and I can't hear from God. I'm the problem. I know I need to do something. No, you don't need to do anything. You need to stop. And you need to let somebody love you again. You need to let a father walk in on the middle. I'm sorry, let me get all redneck on you. Get all up in the middle of your mess and love you. <sighs> I know you can think of 10,000 reasons why God doesn't love you. That's because you have an enemy who's an amazing liar yeah, right. pumping your echo chamber that's been informed by a world full of lies around you saying that you're unworthy of love. God is never like you. You're never going to measure up. And all of that garbage And here's the truth. The father says, I want to talk to you. And the respondent, David, says, I'm coming. That's what you need. A heart that says, I'm coming. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to listen. I don't know how to get in the presence of my father. I don't know how. But I'm going to start. Several years ago, I took up guitar because I wanted to be able to do uh, worship in my small groups. And I bought this old, cheap uh, guitar from a pawn shop, and I started beating the heck out of that thing. That's exactly what it was. I'm not even. I'm not even being kind. That's true. I was. I went to some guys in the church that played, and and uh, the first time, you know, and I'd learned uh, the chords D, A, and G. That's the three. I first three I learned, and I'm I'm playing D, A, and G. And this old timer, he was probably about seventy-five. He looked over at me and said, "Well, you sure have learned how to whoop up on them strings, haven't you?" That's where I started. And as far as I know, that's the only way to start an instrument. is just to start picking that thing up and whooping on them strings and making mistakes and start learning. If you want to live a life where you're hearing from God on a, on a daily basis, then start. Because right. I promise you, he has something good for you every moment you are willing to pay attention. He has something good for you. And, and as you grow in that, you're going to realize He has something good for those around you. By the way, that's what I believe the gift of prophecy is, is that God gives you stuff for people around you that encourage and lift them up. But that's, I guess, level two. I don't know. but you can't get to level two, though, if you don't start at level one, which is, I don't know what I'm doing. So let me begin. In that quiet place, we prepare, we listen, and also sometimes we are surprised. And this is, I don't know if you realize that the Father is fun. I, this has been a big part of my ministry. It's one of our values of ordinary faith. We have fun. I believe God is fun. When I go to a church that's not having fun, I get offended. And now you're like, well, Michael, you shouldn't be offended. I'm just like, but the Father is fun. And that's not the truth to tell people that he's all serious and grumpy. Ugh. Sorry. Okay just feels wrong. Anyway, so for Revelations 1-9, okay, I guess I should set this up. Revelations 1-9. Revelation 1-9. John loved Jesus. I mean, he's the guy that wrote the epistle of John, and he's the one who called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. He's the one who said, love the Father, love each other, love, love, love. And John loved Jesus. Jesus. Okay. He spent so many hours in the presence of Jesus, but he hadn't seen Jesus with his earthly eyes in 60 years, at least by the time we get to this passage. And so here it is. Revelation chapter one, verse nine. I, John, am your brother and your partner in the suffering and in the king, God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God, for my testimony about Jesus It was the Lord's Day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit, and suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. And when he turned around, there was Jesus. He hadn't seen him with his physical eyes 60 years. And, of course, Jesus is apparently a prankster because he scared the socks off of him. (laughs) A loud blast. They didn't even have socks back then. Anyway, so... I'm just kidding, they may have. I just want you to know that uh, the father loves to enjoy his children and he loves to give them wonderful things. Yes, he meets our needs. Often we get scared to death in the process. I I, I am no argument here. But also then he just shows up and he just blows you away. So, can I tell the, the satchel story, the bags? Yes. Yes. So uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago now, I, was, uh, I had a credit at Timu because I like to send my money to China. I usually do it through Walmart, but I thought I'd go direct this time. But, uh, <laughs> so I ordered a, uh, a messenger bag. What I thought was a messenger bag. And I know you're sitting there going, well, that's just a man purse. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, but I call it a messenger bag, okay? <laughs> Because I have stuff I have to carry. I'm prepared. I have things. And so I, mine's starting to get ragged, and, and so I ordered one. Well, it came in, and it wasn't as big as I needed. And uh, so I you know, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. My wife walks in my office, and she's taking up a new job, and she needs one. And she looked at it and go, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly what I need. So what I didn't know when I ordered this messenger bag was I was actually ordering it for my wife. And I didn't know at the time. And so I said, well, here, honey, you can have it and you can use that. Well, then the next week she's in, uh, was it in the Goodwill and she sees a person there she likes. So she picks up this purse. It's Goodwill. So she probably gave quarter for it or something like that. I don't know. And, uh, so I'm just kidding. I don't go on Goodwill because anyway, uh, so, uh, I'm a man anyway. So, uh, I'm just kidding. If they got deals, I'll go. But so she comes home, brings this purse home. She's, she's cleaning it up to use the other day, sets it next to the bag that we just ordered from China, and they're a perfect match. They look like they're bought together. And she runs into my office, and she goes, look how much the Father loves me. <laughs> That's a true story. I'm not making any of it up. He does that like a thousand ways all the time, just these nice little... Blessings and kindnesses. Why? We live in a world that think they're better parent than God, and you will never be a better parent than God. He enjoys his children, he enjoys his kids. So sometimes that presence is surprising. Another thing I'll show you. So there's a secret place, and I've, everything I've talked about right now has kind of come from a place of an individual place of God's presence. But that, mm, let's pause for effect because I need you to hear this. That is not enough. Individual seeking the presence of God is vital. It's critical. It's the basis for everything we talk about. But that is not far enough. It wasn't far enough for Jesus. I want you to put that in your thinking processes, okay? Because even Jesus gathered people around him to enjoy and connect with God's presence. And let me show you. Right here in Matthew 17, one, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as light, and his clothes became as white as light. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. <coughs> Excuse me. So Jesus, who is experiencing the father's presence on a regular basis, probably multiple times most days grabs peter james and john and says come with me we're going to do this together now i got a theory and it is not one that you can prove biblically but my theory is is that what happened on the mount transfiguration was not a new thing for jesus i don't i don't think this is the first time he experienced it i think it was just the first time it was witnessed you say Michael I don't know and, and it could be true in the sense that the fact that Moses and Elijah were there that this one was a little bit unique and there was a discussion about the cross going on so in that sense it could have been unique but at least spiritually and supernaturally every time Jesus got in the father's presence he saw the father's face and the father's glory and when he went on that mountain I believe Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen that day and he wanted the boys there he wanted them to share in the presence of God and that is how Jesus does it. That's why he had 12 disciples. That's why those 12 disciples were surrounded by hundreds of other disciples who were following from further out and so on. Jesus wants us in the presence of God in community. And so, yes, having a personal and private devotion time is good. But you need community time. We need to come together and sing Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. Holy Spirit, come rest on us. Sometimes we need to sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, or Oh, How I Love Jesus. Or sometimes we need to sing about what the Father's like. Sometimes we need to shut up and just sit in His presence and pray and encounter who He is and what He is together. You can't do your Christian life in isolation. And I know people have hurt you. I know, but I also know that people hurt Jesus and he got over it. How did he do that? How did Jesus get over being nailed to the cross by his friends? He forgave them. He loved them and he pursued his father. And this is the great thing about the presence of God and what enables you to be around and engage with people. When you encounter God's presence, you learn to trust God, and you realize that if God's on your side and you can trust God, it no longer matters what the people around you do. I go through life and I work through people not because I think people are amazing. I think they are, I just don't think they act amazing. But I do what I do because I trust God to work in people. I've got some big ass for next year in 2024. Probably not going to tell you about them until after they happen, but I got some big ass on the table. And I believe that God is going to move in people's life. And God, I believe I can trust God and I don't have to depend on people. Does that make sense? I say, well, he sounds a little cynical. I'm not. Just think that God's got this. So, I think in the community, you you need the presence alone. You need the presence community. Let me also add quickly that Jesus invited Peter, James, and John into his night of sorrow. I think that's really important. And you you know the passage, so I'm going to, for sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and move on. But I, I just want you to see that on the night when Jesus was, his soul was crushed, he was grieving, he's facing the biggest night of his life. He did not do it alone. He brought Peter, James, and John into the scenario. Think about this, guys. Think about this as what it means for us as Christians, as people who call ourselves part of the church, that we should be able to somehow pick each other up, to carry each other What if I was able, what if, entertain this thought, I was able to engage with the presence of God, engage with the presence of God with other people, and then when someone that I know and love is going through something grievous and something that's a loss, what if I had so much of that presence I could share it? What if what I brought to any relationship was not advice and counsel? What if I just brought the presence of God? I think you will find that the atmosphere you carry is far more influential than the words that you say. And if you spend time in the presence of God, then the atmosphere you carry will resonate with the frequency of heaven. I think that's why Jesus would walk around. I I think that's why when Jesus showed up in town, people had crazy ideas like, oh, I can't walk, but I think I can now because Jesus is here. Oh, I can't see, but Jesus in town, I think I can see. i my, this guy's dead, but maybe he doesn't have to stay that way. You're like, that's crazy. You know why? Because heaven, when compared to the natural, the thinking of heaven is crazy. Because the stuff that works in heaven doesn't seem to work here unless someone brings it. Good. So if I learn to live in presence, I will probably carry that presence with me everywhere I go. I want to show you two more things and then I'll be done. The kids are being so good and I'm so proud of them because I didn't even do anything fun with them today. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. The very first thing that happened as the church is coming to life through those 11 men, is the church knew from the beginning we need each other. We need the congregation. We need the congregation. By the way, I don't know if you've read the New Testament or not, but there's a whole lot of personality issues in the New Testament. It's like most of the book is like, oh, good, we're all together. And then it's like, oh, here's how not to fight all the time. It's like the rest of it. And so it sounds crazy, but it's true. That congregation is part. Now, so God God brought these people together. So I want to move this. All right. Secret place, my connection with God. A community place, our connection with God. The presence of God in us, presence of God in me, presence of God in us. Now let's take a step further. Because we are not here to sit behind stained glass and feel superior to everyone else. Okay? And I'm not saying all churches with stained glass do that. I have been in a few that did, but I'm not saying they all did. Acts four twenty four, the disciples had gotten into trouble, again, already. I mean, we're only two chapters into the fun stuff. Acts two Acts two 24, Acts four twenty four. They just been released from prison, and they told the church what's going on. They test. They gave testimony. God was healed. We went to jail. We got beat. Woo! Amen. Hallelujah. Bless God. And here's what happened when they told the church, the congregation. And they heard the report, heard the testimony. All the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. I want you to see that the first thing the church did when it got in trouble in Acts 4 was it went directly to the presence of God. Maybe it would be helpful if, I think the word prayer is really important, but maybe it would be helpful if we we kind of separated what I'm talking about from prayer. Because even though this is prayer, it's way more than that. Because too many people think of prayer as just asking God for stuff, okay? Or asking God for something. And it is that, but that's not all that it is. It is totally okay to ask God for anything. He loves you. He, he wants to hear it, and you'll probably be surprised to find out he already knows anyway. But that's that's not what I'm talking about. If we start thinking about presence, then we are not just checking something off the list. Well, I prayed today. I spent five minutes in prayer. I asked God for stuff. Here's my prayer list. God, bless me. Bless them. Bless us all. Amen. I need to take it out of that regiment, and I need my prayer life, my secret place, my presence life to become something far more significant i needed to become something that when i'm in this well when i'm in the spirit as that's what john would have said when he was i was in the spirit on the lord's day meaning that i am existing in the realm that i have been redeemed for not the realm that I was born into, but the realm I was redeemed for. I'm existing in that realm. If I begin to look at it this way from a place of presence. So these disciples, these Christians in Acts 4.24, the first thing they do is run to the presence of God and hear their prayer. And now, oh Lord, hear their threats. Because they've been threatened. they been they're going to jail. They're, all this kind of stuff's gonna happen. Hear their threats. And give us, your servants, a good hiding place. A mighty fortress is our God. No, give us, your servants, great boldness. Make us fearless. Lord, help us to make them so angry they lose their minds. So, Michael, that's not what it says. Okay, all right. Give us, your servants, great boldness and... Preaching, Caruso, proclaiming your word. And it gets better. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, these are the kind of prayer meetings I am looking forward to. I'm pretty sure these are on the agenda. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Yes. I don't think they had any pyrokinetics or anything like that. I think the Spirit of God was just so happy and so. Oh. The place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they preached the Word of God with boldness. People need to hear the gospel. And I'm not talking about, I I don't know what's being preached, to be honest with you, or taught. I I really don't know. I'm getting frustrated because I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm not smart enough. So we're going to spend a whole month in a Greek word in January, by the way. You're like, doesn't sound like fun? Oh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be life life transforming. What I'm trying to say is the gospel is that God, God the Father, loves you, has always loved you, has never not loved you, and that that Father sent his Son to pay the price of sin and death. He sent his son to square the books with sin and death. And that because of that, you can step into full forgiveness, full acceptance, complete approval, perfect righteousness, complete holiness, and eternal power and authority. All of that given, a gift. It's the good news. And all that has to happen is repentance. You're like, and that is a terrible word for what the word is. But it's the only one we know in English. And it's metanoia. It's, it's, it's transformed. It's higher nos. Higher mind. But that's inadequate. It's not enough. It, it's, it's a higher conception of the person God created you to be. You realize... That this world isn't your home, it's not for you. That it's rules don't actually apply to you. I don't know, it's like, I'm sorry, you'd have to be old to even get this reference, but I gotta do it. It's like waking up out of the matrix. (laughs) That's what repentance is, scraping slime off your body going, what am I doing here? I'm just a battery for a broken system. Oh my gosh, that analogy travels. (laughs) People need to hear the gospel. And I'm telling you, they're groaning for it. All this anger you're hearing today. All these labels people are sticking on themselves and being demanded to be called. All the confusion about everything. All of this is just hurting, broken people who don't know they have a father who loves them. That's it. That's all that ever was. That's all that will ever be. You put a bunch of people who are orphans, who believe they're orphans, when they actually have a father who loves them, they're going to act awful. They need to know the truth. You are loved. Everything's been done. You begin to think differently, and you're going to live differently. You begin to do like Jesus, who looked at a world from a completely different plane. You start thinking like that, you'll change your life you will not see. You'll see the same things that other people see from a higher plane. People need to know the gospel. I don't know if you know, the enemy's been really busy and he's been busy building lies, strongholds of lies. But the truth is all those strongholds of lies are just stacked cards. They're just houses of cards. And when the Bible says in Hebrews that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I believe the reason the room shook in acts for is because God was giving us our mission. Our mission is to go and shake these houses of cards until they crumble and take and, and open up a view to a father who loves. Because everyone, they blame God for everything that goes wrong in the world. Everything that's going to happen in their lives, they think it's God's fault. They think because God didn't stop people from doing bad things that God isn't good when they don't realize that only tyrants do that. Only tyrants assume will over everyone. And God is a good God, a father God. And they don't know. Sorry, I shouldn't say this, but I'm trying to wrap up. And how would they know? Because the average Christian today doesn't have enough of the gospel to change their own life. And I'm here to tell you the gospel will change your life. You start living your life as a loved child. And all that sin that you're struggling with is going to start falling off of you the self-destructive ways that you're ripping your own life apart, you will start walking out of those chains. And it all begins with the gospel. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the mission. This is what the enemy is trying to stop. Stop. He doesn't want people to have access to the gospel. This is what there's a whole myriad of darkness trying to stop people from knowing that their father loves them. And it's our job, our privilege, our joy to walk forward from the presence of our father radiating a whole different frequency, one of hope and life and joy instead of misery and fear. And then things begin to shake. When God's people begin to see that they have the power to shake the world they live in, things change. That's my prayer for 24. People that shake things. And I know the answer to that is just the presence of the Father. That's that's how it worked for Jesus. That's how it's going to work for us. So I wanna encourage you this year to step into presence. How can I spend more time in the presence of my Father? And I, you know, sure, Bible reading's great. If you're doing Bible reading to connect with your Father, it's awesome. If you're doing Bible reading because someone made you mad and you're trying to prove them wrong, not so awesome. Prayer. Spending time praying. And it is fine. Ask your father for what you need. He told us to. Ask and you'll receive. Do it. But then, shut up and listen. I know. Stop saying shut up, Michael. It makes me uncomfortable. Get over it. So, (laughs) be quiet and listen. Because he has something good for you. And anticipate some surprise. Anticipate. God to show up with a bouquet of flowers or a a poem or a new car. I don't know. He likes to surprise. Anything can happen. You learn to enjoy that presence, seek that presence, and I don't know what your resolutions may be or if you gave up on them long ago. And, And it actually doesn't matter to me, but if you find God's presence in your life, things are going to change for you. The Holy Spirit is going to make the scriptures come alive. You're going to have epiphanies right and left. It all comes from his presence. Let's pray. Worship team. Father. Pray, Lord, that you, as we're here together in this moment, I ask you, Lord God, to speak to each and every heart in the room how much you want to be with them i pray lord god that people would encounter a god who has great things to say i pray lord that you would just move i pray that it become uh, individual for sure i pray for families Today we get to worship with our kids and they've been amazing. I love kids. I love the fact that through our children, you teach us what you're like, what we need. So I ask you, Lord, to to help hearts see what's possible. Pray, Lord, for that soul that's living in the backside of a desert. I pray the day they would believe, for the, maybe the first time in a while, that their father wants to speak to them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Yes, Miss Rowena.